Welcome to Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Baum. My co-host is Justin Baker. He is here. I know you're all pumped about that. And uh, Justin, welcome in. Why wouldn't everybody be pumped about that? I love it. Why why not? Why not? Well, uh, the regular season is... You know, we're we're like past the ten. We're about around that ten game mark, right? Like I think a lot of teams are at game nine, maybe game eight for a couple teams. But we're starting to get a little bit of a feel for how this looks. I know it's only ten games, but if we measure everything in like ten game chunks, which you know, kind of, it's an eighth of the season. Uh, we've already seen some very interesting trends, and so with that, we wanted to spend some time on some teams that are absolutely exceeding our expectations thus far. Uh, so we'll talk about four teams, the, the Red Wings, Montreal Canadiens, Vancouver Canucks, and the Anaheim Ducks. And uh, we're just going to talk about, you know, hey, what what's happening? Why are they, why are they doing so well? Uh, why didn't we see this coming? Is this for real? Or are they just teasing us a little bit? Uh, so we'll, we'll dive into that. We're also going to, uh, with, you know, Pierre Dorian, GM of the Ottawa Senators being let go. We're going to jump into who we think is also on the hot seat because I think he would have been a part of that conversation and uh, his seat has officially caught fire and disintegrated. So he's uh, no longer the GM of Ottawa. We'll jump into head coaches, maybe some GMs, but particular head coaches, and uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. So, uh, Justin, with these four teams, we're going to start with the Red Wings. I figure we're going to start with the team that you know the best. I know pretty darn well because we both live here in Michigan. And uh, I, I figured we'd start with Detroit. But as far as the first 10 games of the season, how heavily do you weigh these games? Like, is do, do you feel like the first 10 games are different than the 40 through 50? Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a reason, you know, we've always said that you can, you know, uh, what's the term by American Thanksgiving, right? You can either play yourself out of a playoff spot or you can play yourself in. Now, I don't necessarily buy into play yourself into a playoff spot, but I definitely think you can play yourself out of a playoff spot by American Thanksgiving, right? So, um, so we're, we're, we're three weeks away from that. So I think these first 10 games, I usually take a little bit heavier than – than games 40 and 50. Now, um, do I think that, you know, every team, their first 10 games is going to consistently play the same way? Absolutely not. Um, so really, like you talked about, you have to really dive into it a little bit more and figure out, is this team for real? Are they, you know, just a, a joke or did they just get lucky? Right. So you have to make that determination. And, yep. and so, you know, for the Red Wings anyways, I, I think I have to kind of lean towards, um, they're, they're kind of right in the middle, a little bit of luck. They're not necessarily, you know, I don't believe they're going to be this, you know, play six, three and one for every set of 10 games for the rest of the season. Um, you know, I think they came out like a lot of teams do. And, um, you know, we, we've seen the past, for example, Buffalo, right? They, they typically in the past come out scorching hot and then they fizzle off and end up missing the playoffs, right? Well, they're kind of doing the opposite this year. But I think for the Red Wings, they're, they're kind of having one of those seasons where I think they're just coming out hot, Nobody had, you know, high expectations when we talk about Ottawa, Buffalo, and Detroit. Everybody had them as far as like, you know, the bottom team out of those three is as far as like, you know, potential bubble playoff teams and almost like it was um, Montreal, which we'll get to next. And yeah. then it was those three teams, all, like sort of in any order, but Detroit was definitely seen as the team that was uh, a year or two behind where Buffalo and Ottawa were sitting. Yeah, absolutely. And so, 
you know, again, I think maybe, you know, Detroit came out with a little chip on their shoulder, something to prove kind of thing. And, um, I mean, let's face it, their power play, I, I remember, you know, through the first six or seven games was clicking at, you know, 40-plus percent. It was just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and now they, they've kind of come back down to earth their last three games a little bit. Um, yeah, they're, you know, yeah, they're at 32% now. <laughs> yeah, and, and Alex Dabrinkit, man, those first eight games he had had 13 points, hasn't really done much the last couple games. And I think, you know, point-per-game player is, is – you know, pretty close to what I expected to Brinkett and Larkin to be at. And I think, um, you know, maybe playing a little bit above where I think they will finish at the end of the season in terms of points per game. But I think ultimately these these are point-per-game players. And, you know, the difference between Detroit this year and Detroit of years past where we've been talking about them taking that next step is now they're finally getting that depth scoring, right? You look at a guy like Daniel Sprong, for example, seven points through ten games, Joe Valeno, a fourth line centerman who's putting up five goals first in, round through pick. ten games. First yeah, round pick. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he was their he, second. He was, he was their second first round pick the year that they took Marie Sider. Yeah, and he kind of he yeah, kind of got lost there for a minute. Yeah, I mean he's he's been kind of um, you know I, I, he was slow to develop. Let's just put it that way. I don't think he developed as quickly. Isn't he like twenty two? Oh, he's twenty four. He's twenty four. Actually, twenty four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was the last of the Ken Holland era. Uh, he and Michael Rasmussen. So, um, really, you know, and, and again, you look at, you know, the addition of Shane Gossesphere. He's been a power play monster out there with six points on the power play through 10 games. So, he's added a lot of offensive punch that the Red Wings had missed in the last couple of years where they were just getting it, you know, last two seasons from Mo Sider. So, now they've got a legit, you know, second defenseman who can add that offensive punch. And, you know, again, go, you know, the, the ghost isn't someone they're going to rely on to play those heavy defensive minutes, but he'll be out there, you know, PP one with, with Mo Sider on that, on that, you know, blue line there. Yeah. I, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I was wrong. He was not taking the same year as Marit Sider. He was taking the same year as Philip Zadina. Ah, Zadina. Yeah. I was like, I know it was somewhere in the, around the fifth pick. Zadina was the sixth pick. Uh, Joe Valeno was the 30th pick in the draft that year. Um, that was uh, Vegas's pick, I think. That was that was from the trade for Thomas Tatar. It was. That right. is yeah. well said. So Thomas, yeah, I mean Thomas. Uh, hey, anytime, and I know a fourth line center is not exactly where you want a first round pick to end up, but hey, he's filling a role right now, and I, I think given his success thus far, I mean, he's on pace for 40 goals. Uh, granted, he's shooting 38.5%. So that's not going to continue. <laughs> he's only taken 13 shots. He scored five of them. Uh, that is not going to continue. Uh, but he's, hey, he's he's plus in the face-off circle. And he has 52.5% in the face-off circle. That's, that's a good thing, too. Um, that's what you want to see from your fourth-line guys. You want to see dedication to uh, those little small parts of the game. That is what is going to get you into the game more often as a, as a a depth centerman is somebody who can win some faceoffs. Uh, I'll, I'll say this about the wings and the, the difference between this year and last year. Uh, you've got the guys who are, who've been there before, like cop was there last year. Perron was there last year. Uh, Raymond, the, these guys were there last year, but they're, they're playing much better. Uh, I think they're actually slotted into the proper proper places throughout the lineup whereas last year they were relying much more heavily on them this year it's more appropriate they're playing second third line minutes and they're playing exactly where they should be and that's huge uh, I think 
JT Comfer, Eisman got a lot of crap for that signing. He's turning out to it's it's almost like he he came in and allowed everybody else to kind of slot where they should be because and, and he can go all over the place. I mean, he can play center, he can play wing. I I, I think right now he's he's been playing mostly center. I mean, he's yeah, been he's taking a lot of the draws. He's been been taking a lot of the draws, but um, yeah, it's just it's just a, and again, that's like Andrew Cop can play center. I mean, Andrew Cop's also taken almost as many draws as Comfort. Um, they're basically kind of just taking draws on on their strong side for the most part, I think. But uh, it's they're, they've just been put in a great position. And Iserman has done something that a lot of people they go, oh no, 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 don't don't sign veterans when you're in the middle of a rebuild. Uh, but so far, let's go Cop Comfort Sprong uh, Debrinket. Not that like to bring it super old or anything, but I mean he's still he's been in the league eight years, believe it or not. Uh, he has brought in the right mix of veterans, and it's it this year is working out. Last year, uh, not so much, but I think that that probably is a credit to Debrinket. Debrinket has really changed this entire lineup because he's so dangerous, and now everybody gets to play against lesser opponents, and that is exactly what the Wings needed. Yeah, and the difference is, too, is, you know, they're scoring both five-on-five and the power play, right? I mean, in in years past, it was typically one or the other, right? It wasn't like, you know, the Wings – I mean, traditionally, the Wings just haven't really been a good five-on-five team in recent years. So uh, being able to get that – I mean, now, now like, for example, I look at, you know, David Perron. He's one guy I think I'd like to see pick it up. He's only got one five-on-five point so far this season. But, um, you know, the other thing we forget, too, is we've got Robbie Fabry, who – you know, is expected to be a, a legitimate middle six threat. He's only played one game, scored one goal. So he's he's been practicing with the team and slated to come back here pretty soon. So, you know, hopefully if, if he does, and, you know, I know he'll probably end up missing the next two games, but if he comes back sooner rather than later, that's that's a huge addition for a team that, you know, the more depth is, is only going to, I mean, is only going to be good for this team. Yeah, I, I will say this for Detroit, uh, and and this is sort of goes along with the, the Joe Valeno conversation. He's shooting thirty eight percent. The Wings as a team are shooting twelve point nine percent. That's very high. Uh, the league average is is hovering just below ten percent right now. So they're three percent over the rest of the league average. Uh, their PDO one hundred two point seven. That tends to not be sustainable throughout the whole entire year. Uh, however, we have seen some teams that are able to kind of buck that and they just the reason that their shooting percentage is so high is because they're taking uh they're they're not just throwing shots at the net we've seen the st louis blues be that team many years and uh throughout the last what like five six years where they just go we're not throwing pucks at the net we're gonna hold it and we're gonna wait for our for an actual good opportunity they've got it down to a science i think that Derek lalonde has definitely worked some of that into the into the pie. I think that it's when you watch what they're doing offensively, especially on the power play, there's a lot more intentionality with what they're doing with the puck this year compared to what they did last year. And I think that that's the reason why, you know, probably the shooting percentage is a lot higher. Also, I mean, Debrinket's shooting percentage is real high, 28.1% on those those nine goals. Um I don't think anybody expected the brink it to score like 80 goals this year. So that's okay. <laughs> it's, it'll, it'll slightly <laughs> average out. Um, but I, 
I, I think that's worth noting. Like, yeah, their shooting percentage is high. That could come back down. But they also are doing a really good job at holding on to the puck and waiting for good opportunities. So uh, there's there's a, a positive and a negative there. Um, but I, I think that for the most part, what the Red Wings are doing is pretty sustainable from a goaltending perspective and a defensive perspective because they are, you know, their goalies aren't playing incredible by any means. You know, they're, they're just playing average. For the most part, I'd say that Huso and Reimer have been right on the money, you know, or, I mean, Reimer's been 939 save percentage, which is just crazy, but um, that, but Huso, 900 save percentage, it's not like he's been playing phenomenal, but the Wings have been able to uh, outscore their opponents, and if you told me the way that the Wings would win would be outscoring their opponents, I would have said you're they're definitely not going to make the playoffs then. So I, I think that they can, they'll find a way, which they do defend in their own zone really well. Really well. I mean, that's the, the Justin Hall, Mata, Chirot, and Jeff Petrie. That's these guys that are really good in their own zone. Um, and... And then you're letting, really, you're letting Marit Sider, you're, you're letting uh, Jeff Petrie to some extent to, to, although he's only played six games, but uh, to move the puck out of the zone. And while they're not good at all off the for, off the rush, I, I don't, I lost the number. I, I can't remember where I, where I saw it, but the goals off the rush are real bad for Detroit. Like the rush in is just not looking great. Uh, if they can figure that out, they they might make the playoffs, which is uh, and by might make the playoffs, I mean like they'll be one two like two or three in this division the way they're playing right now. Uh, I think that the Red Wings have a real good chance at being that one team where everybody goes, "Holy crap! Wow, they they ended up being really good. They they could be last year's Seattle Kraken, the way they're playing." And uh, I guess that's the Daniel Sprong effect. <laughs> Well, I mean, in all fairness, right, you look at the teams at the bottom of this division, Buffalo, Florida, and Ottawa, I'm still waiting for them to put it together. And, yes, I know it's only eight or ten games in for most of these clubs, but, um, you know, at this point, you got to wonder, like, are they ever going to get it together? Now, Florida, they've dealt with a bunch of injuries. Yeah. They're getting guys back. so you know, Florida has actually good, but... exceeded my expectations for how Oh, exceeded? They... Well, I, if you remember, I had them finishing last in the division. I, I do remember you having them towards the bottom because yet, of but, all um, these injuries. I, you know, I, I just tanked them. I thought Montreal would do better than people expected, which they are. I did not have them third in the division though, but, uh, well, yeah, I don't think anybody did. So, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been rough, but I, at the same time you look at it and you go, I mean, Buffalo wins a few games in a row and they're right there. Detroit loses a few games in a row. They're right there. And that's, and that's the, the danger of, of early in the season. This can all fall apart really easily. But I really like what I see from the Red Wings so far. And one thing to note, they aren't going out there and actually – like the, the the games that they've lost, uh, who have they lost to? They've lost to New Jersey. They lost to Winnipeg. I don't have their, uh, their schedule up. I'm trying to pull it up, but my computer is going slow. Uh, they've lost to teams that are in the playoffs. But they are beating all the teams – that are outside the playoffs. That's not a that's not a bad place to be. I mean, they're beating who they should beat, and that's really what you want right now. I mean, that's that's a place where you can you can work from. 
You know, if you're if you were going out there and yeah, you're you're like kind of catching some of these good teams off guard and then you still can't beat the bad teams, that usually means you're just catching good teams on a on a night where they go, "Oh, this team freaking sucks." And they they just lay a donut, but uh yeah, the teams that they're losing to, the Devils, the Kraken, well, the Kraken. That was an overtime. The Jets, the Bruins. Like I don't think I think when you go New Jersey, Boston, Winnipeg, you'd probably go, "Well, Detroit will probably lose those games." But Detroit has has held their own against everybody else, and that's uh, a testament, I think, to their coaching staff too. They've had these boys ready to start the season. Exactly. Uh, anything else? Any other thoughts about? Well, what's I going mean, on I, with I will say, yeah. I mean, you touched on it a little bit, right? The goaltending, and I, I, I got to say, I've just I haven't really been. You know, the first few games, uh, Huso when he looked kind of pedestrian, I figured, okay, I don't really. I wouldn't really blame him, but as the season's gone on, he just hasn't really looked that good to me. Um, I do think he's capable of a little bit better, and I don't think it has anything to do with the team in front of him besides those off-the-rush kind of plays. But um, I think if you know things tighten up a little bit more, I think Huso is more than capable of bouncing back a little bit. And I think with you know James Reimer ultimately probably going to get a few more starts and maybe his numbers come down a little bit, I think that'll that'll balance out. But I think ultimately you know that might win Detroit a few more games. Hey, yeah, I mean, at this stage, you go, well, just play that hot hand because James Reimer is rolling right now. Yep, proving them doubters wrong. That's right. Um, well, let's stick in the division because the team right behind the Red Wings, don't look now, is the Montreal Canadiens who have uh, surprised everybody. Probably, like, This is, out of all these teams, probably the most surprising of the four, I would say, to, to have this kind of start because... They they were bad last year. Uh, they, you know, Cole Caulfield's kind of picked right up where he left off, on pace for another forty goal season. But I I just don't think that we thought this team had the depth or the talent defensively or up front to really do much damage in this division. And thus far, they are proving the doubters wrong. So, uh, what do you what do you think about the Habs start? Well, I'll tell you what. Um... You know, Montembeau and, and Jake Allen have looked really, really good. Um, and, and when you're getting, I mean, consistent goaltending from both, you know, your 1A and your 1B, and they're putting up good numbers. I mean, it's, it's hard not to win games. And not only that, but they're, they're getting their top guys to produce. Like, you know, teams at the top, their top guys are always producing, right? And that's, that's key to, to any team's success. But, you know, they're also getting a little bit of depth scoring, not as good as maybe the last team, Detroit, we talked about, right? I mean, Brandon Gallagher, only three points through nine games. But, you know, I think they're getting guys to chip in here or there and, you know, do enough, um, you know, to really keep this team relevant and in games. And so... Well, Tanner um, Pearson's been a great scoop up for them. Yeah, not bad. Five points through nine yeah. games. I mean, yeah, you, you got to, you know, maybe shake your head at Alex Newhook, you know, those first three games, three goals, but now through the last, you know, six, only one assist, but... You know, again, there's there's time, and a lot of these guys will find their rhythm, right? When you hit, bring in new guys, it's typically what happens. And you know, one I'll say it sucks losing Kirby Doc. That was a big blow, but they've they've exceeded my expectations tremendously. Because again, I I had them at the bottom of this division, considering all the, you know, the teams in front of them and what talent they had. But man, they're just they're playing a more complete team game. Um, you know, maybe if they can pick it up a little bit better in the faceoff circle, I think they would be. Uh, They'd be doing okay. Well, who called Sean Monahan being a, a sixty point guy this year? Oh, I, I absolutely. Well, last year I figured he was going to 
be a 60-point guy, and he disappointed me. But Did you? Um, he hasn't had 60 points since 1819. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of pegged him to be that 60-point that pace kind of guy. And, I mean, yeah, he you know didn't do it in with the Flames, but I, I thought, you know, okay, great, he's going to Montreal. And I figured he was going to you know, catch fire. Start. He had a decent start. He probably would have ended up with, with 45 or 50 points last year had he uh, – had he not gotten hurt, but yeah, he's off to a, a torrid start. I mean, really probably the reason that Montreal is winning the games that they are is because they're getting fantastic second line center depth from Sean Monahan, which is something they, they really couldn't find last year. And, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's why they are where they are. Um, I would say that, you know, they're, save percentage is considerably higher than the the rest of the league almost a one and a half percent difference um, from the average so do I think that Montembeau and Jake Allen are gonna be able to sustain that high save percentage I don't know and in this case Montreal does not seem like the team that is going to be able to outscore too many teams uh I know they they've yeah, they've put up some some good numbers throughout these games, but I, I think over the course of a regular season, as things tighten up, it's probably less likely that this team is the one who's who's outscoring other teams. You know, that's that's going to be an issue if they can't keep the puck out of the net. But hey, so far, I mean, you look, they've got kind of wins against garbage teams for the most part. Uh, Chicago. Washington, Columbus, Winnipeg are their uh, oh, and Buffalo are their five wins. So, eh, but they're you know they're they're finding their way into shootout situations, into overtime situations, and so they're they're setting themselves up to grab a point. Those points in the end, you know, they they've gone the extra frame five times already in the first ten games. So those uh, those extra points in the first nine games, yeah, those extra points will make a big difference. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, right? You you got to win those games that you know again against those lesser teams, right? Those those Columbuses and you know to start the season, Buffalo, right? I mean Chicago, you you have to win those games if you want to be successful in this league. And uh, I mean I always you know having been a Tigers fan, uh, uh, you know Detroit Tigers baseball fan for so long, they always had a problem beating the crappy teams, right? And so that you know they just always found themselves outside the playoff picture because of that, and so. When you're when you're a team like you know Montreal and you're trying to you know take that next step and, and push a little bit and make a little bit of noise, you have to make sure that you're beating those teams that you know are at the bottom of the league because you know you're going to come up against these New Jerseys, the Torontos, and you're I mean let's face it, you're not going to get points out of that. So take the points where you can yep. to stay relevant yep. and at least give you know the players you have now that taste of success because they're only going to want it more the more and more they get it. Yep, absolutely. And hey, uh, if you pick up enough points in those games where you're playing teams where you have no business beating them, you can scoop up a point. That can make a difference in the end. You don't, you don't know what position you'll be in. This league is crazy and things can change on a dime. I will say this. If you said, hey, Montreal's going to start the season, they'll be in third after 10 games. I go, okay, wow, they must have had a good start. So uh, Josh Anderson and and uh, probably Slavkovsky, probably things have worked out pretty well with them. No, two assists between the two of them in eighteen games. <laughs> then not yeah. not a goal like, and and we're not talking like it's not like Slavkovsky is only playing like eight minutes a game. I mean he's playing f- over fourteen minutes a game. Josh Anderson's at at almost seventeen minutes a game. He is one point. Uh, I mean. 
they've had some guys step up and uh I'll I'll say on on the side of the difference maker it's Mike Matheson. I mean, we did not see this Mike Matheson last year for the Montreal Canadiens. We did not see what I mean, he's he's sort of evolved this season, at least in the first 10 games, into a defenseman who is a true top-pairing defenseman. I don't know that I'm willing to say hey, he's a number 1 defenseman by any means, but look at like He's got six points through nine games, and I think his his career high is thirty four points. Was what he had last year. Uh, I know he was buzzing last year a little bit uh, before he got hurt. He only played forty eight games, but he is only in the offensive zone for faceoffs thirty three percent of the time. <laughs> like he's barely in the in the offensive zone, and he's still picking up these points, uh, which is. Very, very impressive at, at this stage of the season. Only three of those are on the power play, too. So so three five-on-five points. Uh, I Yeah, I think that he's been a big difference maker. And if if Montreal, I mean, uh, how can they keep doing this? You know, that's kind of what I'm asking myself. Like, how's this, how's this going to keep going? I guess this is truly the of evolution of Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, I, I think that that's where really it all starts at the top. And if if these guys can stay healthy, which you know, hasn't always been the case, this could be a much different season than we expected. I, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. But do I think that they could kind of be that, uh, you know, maybe the, maybe the sixth, maybe be in the, in the playoff conversation for an, like in and around the trade deadline? I, I mean, that wouldn't be a bad place for Montreal to be. I mean, they can still deal Tanner Pearson if they want. They could still deal Sean Monaghan if they want. But they don't have a lot of UFAs or, like, super valuable guys. Like, what realistically, what are you going to get for Monaghan or, or Pearson? Maybe a third-round pick? So, oh, Centerman? Monaghan? Oh, they could probably get Mon- a, a second and probably a good prospect. Yeah, maybe a second. Maybe a second. Yeah. But, you, yeah. But... It is is you look at it and go, well, this guy's he's worth hanging on to, like he's worth just keeping in this organization, re-sign him, and let's continue building on what we're building because if things are going well. I mean, you would think that Sean Monahan is thirty five years old, the way that uh, he, he kind of, I'll say like aged out of Calgary, but didn't it feel like he was just old? When he was when he left Calgary, like well, I guess his uh, his nice career. You know, he had eighty two points in eighteen nineteen, and uh, I guess it kind of felt like well, maybe he just the way he played just was too much for his body. But uh, he's he's still a very good player, and you know he's only twenty nine years old. It's not like he can't sign a three or four year deal and maybe uh, stretch this into something. Yeah, you need those veteran guys, and um, I will add too. You know. I, I don't think for Montreal this is very sustainable. And the big reason why I'm just, you know, looking at some of the numbers here, advanced stats, and I look at shots on goal against, and they are fifth in the league as far as shots on goal, the most shots on goal against at 317. Uh, obviously, teams at the bottom like San Jose and Anaheim, Seattle are up there above them. But, um, you know, being what do that you mean high. teams at the bottom? Anaheim's our next team. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like at the bottom of this list. Okay. Let, I'll yeah, just yeah, say I got that. You, I got you. Right. So, um, and then they're 20th in, you know, as far as shots on goal four. So, you know, when they're not putting a lot of pucks on net, but they're having a lot mm-hmm. of shots on net, um, you know, looking at some of Jake Allen's, you know, you know, career numbers here. I mean, he's well, never, that's why he's been so good for my fantasy team. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. When you're counting saves for points. Yeah. That's just, I mean, 
you got to be, you know, salivating at that one. But, um, you know, I do think we're going to probably see a few more pucks slip in as time goes on, just because, again, his, you know, his save percentage and goals against numbers have always been statistically a lot worse than where they are now. And I don't foresee this being sustainable in the long run. Now, again, it won't be as terrible as I think the last few years in Montreal have. But again, I don't think he can sustain this kind of success in the long term. Yeah, uh, I I think that if these nine games occur in January, we go, oh, cool, Montreal's on a nice little stretch. That's nice. They've got nothing to play for, so it's easy. You know, that's, that's kind <laughs> of... But even in these first nine games, that's kind of ultimately where I land, is that, like, no one has any expectation for this team to make the playoffs. So, yeah, they're coming out nice and loose. They've, they've taken advantage of some teams that uh, maybe have had more on their plate, and they've won. Uh, they're they have some nice high end players on their team, and they've gotten timely goaltending in these nine games. But it's nine games, and I think the Red Wings are different because there was pressure. Like, there's a ton of pressure on Larkin and DeBrinket to deliver something. Like, get us close. I mean, at this point, you've missed the uh, for Larkin. He's got to be like, I missed the playoffs so many years in a row. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. for Montreal, this this rebuild really has just begun a couple of years ago. So I think. Two very different situations, and in this case, Montreal just off to a nice start because there's no pressure. And once they start to go, damn, look at us, uh, that's where this all starts to to crumble. Because <laughs> you're right, Jake Allen's not going to end up winning the Vesna, and uh, they're not going to be able to. I mean, they already they're five two and two, and they've been outscored twenty eight to thirty. That is not sustainable in any way. And so I I, I, I agree, Montreal will fall off, but. It's a nice little start for them. It's nice to see what they could be eventually. Absolutely. Uh, should we go to the Vancouver Canucks? Let's do it. Opposite side of the pond. Uh, Vancouver Canucks currently are, I mean, man, they they have, they are the definition of like, our top players were not our top players last year, and this year they are. And things have been drastically different for the Vancouver Canucks coming into this year. Uh have you gotten a chance to watch much of Vancouver this season so far? I'll admit it's been very minimal. Yeah, um, it's hard to watch those the, the West Coast teams. Yeah, for sure. But what I what I have seen is, you know, I mean, Elias Pettersson has been on a whole nother level uh, than where he has been in the past. I mean, obviously, sixteen points in nine games. Uh, he's been fantastic. JT Miller. I mean, this is you know. JT Miller two years ago was he's gonna he scored a ton. He had ninety nine points, and last year things really fell apart for JT Miller. He was, I mean, there was just so it was like he was being ridiculed for being terrible defensively, and I I think he took note. It's very clear he took note because I'm seeing a totally different JT Miller, uh, a, a guy who is actually at, at least attempting to find his way back into the defensive zone and defend. I think that Rick Tockett is the reason that this is happening. Like, sure, these guys have to show up. They got to play the the right way, yada, yada. But, man, it's pretty apparent since he took over that this team is completely changed. And I I think that's that's all credit to him. And, boy, I'll say, thank goodness they didn't trade Brock Besser last year. Dude, yeah. I I know that, you know, hey, he had four goals in the first nine game or the first game of the season, and he's only had two in the last eight. 
But that's okay. I mean, you're if if Brock Besser scores you 20 goals, you're pretty like I think at this point where things have kind of gone with him, you know, I I don't know that he's the th- a 30 goal scorer anymore, but I think if he can have 20 and 20, he ends up with 40 points. Uh, is that so bad for Brock Besser? I guess he had 55 points last year. Uh, so, but if if he's actually playing responsibly defensively as well, and you're you're getting a better player, maybe putting up 50 points, but and and isn't quite as flashy, I think you're okay with that. He also never gets penalties, so that always helps. Yeah, and I think he and JT Miller have formed a nice little. They've clicked very very well on that second line and. And what's great, you know, you mentioned it, right? JT Miller and Elias Pettersson are just playing otherworldly right now, um, which which is just fantastic. I mean, look, uh, Elias Pettersson's in a contract year. I knew the numbers were going to be ridiculous again because this guy wants to get paid, right? He wants to get over that $10 million mark, and I think right now he's showing that he's worth every penny. And, uh, boy, I mean, if I'm Vancouver, I'm trying to sign this guy as quick as possible because as the season goes on, and if he's sitting there at you know at the end of the year with you know 120 plus points, man, he's going to cost you, gosh, you know, 12 million yeah. bucks. Yeah, I mean, 100. percent It's going to be tough to get him close to 10 mil at that point. So, I mean, and and like again, I I say this you know almost every other show, but I don't like to read it in the plus minus too much. But when you only have two guys on your whole entire team that are a minus in terms of plus minus. And they're bottom line guys. That's something to, yeah. to admire, right? You've got Pius Sutter at a minus two, and and Noah Jolson at a minus one. I mean, this is these are guys that play on your third and fourth line, bottom pairing defensemen. Um, you know, I mean, Noah Jolson's only played three games, so it's it's great to see because you know everybody is being responsible. And and when you look at numbers for guys at the top two of being responsible, like J.T. Miller, Brock Besser, uh, Kuzmenko. They're, they have a nice balance of five-on-five five and power play points, so they're not doing it just in one area or the other. They're destroying everybody in, in all areas of the game right now. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you, uh, you expect Pius Suter to be doing a little better based off what you saw in Detroit the last th- two years? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think with any kind of, you know, change in scenery, right, it does take a little bit of time, and I think he's a very good, off- I mean, he's a very good offensive player. He knows how to... Um, you know, he knows how to win draws. He's been doing very well at that at 55%. So I think as long as he's winning draws, I think, you know, over the next you know couple months, he'll eventually figure out how to fit in this system and, and do what he does best. I don't expect him to put up 30 or 40 points, but if you can get 25 points out of this guy and you can get him to, you know, win you draws on, on that bottom line there, um, that's, that's all you got to ask for maybe out of a guy like this. Now, um, you know, maybe at some point they, they look to, you know, change up where he slots in this team, maybe on the third or fourth line, maybe move some of his wingers around. But, um, you know, I, I eventually figure he'll, he'll settle in at some point and get, and get settled in. I mean, you know, look, he's playing on the second power play unit. I figured he probably had got a couple points by now, but you know, who knows again, like I said, maybe it just takes, it takes some guys just a little bit longer to get settled in than maybe others. Yeah. I will say this, uh, Vancouver, is four and one since Ilya Mikheyev came back from injury. Uh, he mm-hmm. didn't start the year with the team. He's had a point in four of those five games. The only game he did not have a point, they lost an OT. I'm sorry, they're they're four zero oh, and one, not four and one, uh, four zero oh, and one. So I mean, you look at, yeah, I mean that's still. So they were one two one and two without him, and they're four zero oh, and one with him. So 
uh, a very important piece, Ilya Mikheyev. I mean, he fills out that top six. And uh, he just is – he's that kind of player that – there just aren't very many of them out there. Like the guy is just, he can kill penalties. He can score goals. He's a, usually if you get a really good penalty killer, like that's what he does. He's a good penalty killer. And yeah, he might chip in here and there, but you know, he'll put up some apples, but he's somebody who is a good penalty killer and he can score. That's a very rare combination of, uh, of two things that he's good at. So I think Micaiah, I mean, it's why he got a big contract from Vancouver. And I think, you know, that first year in Vancouver was rough, only 28 points, but he got hurt, the coaching situation. And I think, shoot, four game, four uh, points in five games, you know, maybe he puts up uh, a 50-point season here, which would be huge for Vancouver. And all that to be said, I mean, you look across this, if, if – their offensive players keep going the way that they're going. I mean, Philip Ronick has been a, a huge part of their offense so far. Even Tyler Myers looks okay. <laughs> well, and that's what they were missing last year, right? They weren't getting any right. besides Quinn Hughes. Aside they weren't Hughes, getting yeah. any offense on you know on defense. And and Philip Ronick has just he's made it easier, like you mentioned before, with you know in Detroit with JT Confer, guys slot down where they fit best, and now Tyler Myers is slotting down where he fits best on that bottom pair. He doesn't have to worry about you know contributing offensively. He can focus on defense, and it's led to more offense because of that. Yep, and uh, you know uh, everything aside, Thatcher Demko has been phenomenal. A nine three five save percentage, you know, one point nine two goals against. He has been very very good. A four point nine in the goal saved above average over six games. I mean that's almost a goal every game that he's saving above average. He's been fantastic for Vancouver, and I, I think we said this at the beginning of the season that. If Thatcher Demko is who he was two years ago, this team has every opportunity to make the playoffs because of how open the Pacific Division is. And yep. suddenly, <laughs> you look at the Pacific Division and you go, "Well, court, yeah, Vegas, Los Angeles is there, but then it's, I mean, it's Vancouver in second, Anaheim fourth, and like the Oilers and the Flames are so far back already." <laughs> They're already they're already seven points out of the playoffs. What's that? What's that? Oh, well, seven points out of uh, behind you know those those teams in their division. I suppose as far as the playoffs go, they're actually four points out of the playoffs because Arizona holds down the final wild card spot in the Western Conference, uh, which I'm sure will change. But hey, they're they're in a bad spot, like. You you were saying it, you know, you can't necessarily play yourself into the playoffs, but you can certainly play yourself out of it. And they are they are playing terribly. Like the way that they're losing is is just bad. But anyways, we're not here to talk about the Oilers, but it's just this division looks more wide open than I think we ever thought it would it, it was. Yeah, uh, and and I, I think, you know, when you look at four of their next five games, this will really show me what Vancouver really is because uh yeah, they've they've got an easy one tonight against San Jose. I think they'll probably uh, put up a five spot on that one. But, you know, after that, they're going to Dallas. They're going to Edmonton, who needs to bounce back, and they're trying to win some games. But then you've also got Ottawa, who's hungry. They just fired their GM. So, you know, it it's a little warm in Ottawa. Let's just put it that way. Um, and then you've got to go to Toronto. So I think they'll have some good tests coming up in these next those next four games there um, that'll really show me if this Ottawa team's for real or if they're just a phony. Ottawa or Vancouver? 
I'm sorry. Yeah, Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was like, do we, <laughs> we switch talking about teams? And I didn't know. Uh, yes, yes. And, and, I mean, hey, Vancouver at this stage, uh, if Thatcher Demko is going, they can beat anybody. Like, not saying they could beat anybody in a in a seven game series, but they can beat anybody um, on any given night. The way that this uh, top six forward group's playing, they're they're playing very well. They're hard to contain, and Quinn Hughes is probably at this stage in your top three for for the Norris for sure. And uh, if they if Vancouver keeps on winning the way that they are, I think he's probably more of a lock for the Norris than anyone else because people are going to look at him and go, look, he's he's carrying this team that couldn't even make the playoffs last year. And uh, the way that he's going, he could end up with a hundred points. Ooh, could he do it? Ooh, ooh. Could he do it? He's at 11 right now in nine games. So that would be, uh, I guess that would be about 80. What? That would be, it would be like 96 or so 97 on pace for that's bold. Yeah. hundred points. Could, ooh, okay. Could he get there? Yeah, probably not, but, It'd be kind of fun. It'd be kind of fun. All right. Uh, should we close this one out with uh, the Ducks before we go into some coaching hot seat? Yeah, quack, quack. All right. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks. I mean, shoot, what can you say? I mean, here's the here's the thing that sucks for the Ducks. They, they have started the season so well, and they are still fourth in the division because the teams ahead of them have just played so well. Uh, I mean, obviously the uh, – the aforementioned Vancouver Canucks ahead of them, as are the LA Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights, who are six points ahead of the Canucks for the division lead. They are basically running away with, well, frankly, the league. But uh, other than other than Boston over there, but Anaheim six and four, they have been kind of all over the place in terms of you know they're they're winning some games because of goaltending. They're winning some games because of. Their their offense, Troy Terry looks phenomenal thus far. Uh, what what do you think of the the way that the Ducks have come out here? Because we expected well, them you, to be maybe just above San Jose in this division. Yeah, I, I don't mean, remember where you had them, but yeah, so I had them actually at the bottom of this division. Okay, they've, yeah. yeah, they've well exceeded. I actually had them below San Jose because I thought you know again they just don't don't have an identity right. So they. Um, you know, they were still trying to figure out what, what kind of, you know, system they were going to play. They had, you know, new head coach coming in here with Greg Cronin, um, you know, and coming off statistically one of the worst defensive seasons in NHL history, you know, um, I, I didn't have high hopes for them, but clearly they, they listened to our podcast and said, well, fuck these guys, we're going to go out and prove them wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> or at least Lucas Dostal has, has done that. Yes. Um, yes. And Frank Vitrano, who just right. is scoring hat tricks every other night and, yeah, I don't understand it. It it boggles my. But so here's the thing, though. I I, I look at this team and I I'm looking at their their schedule here, and you know they lost four out of their first five games, but now they won five in a row. And when you go back to those first five games, they were really. I mean, they weren't playing Leo Carlson every night. They were bringing him every couple games, and so now they're getting back to you know bringing him in full time now because I I think they they kind of figured well shit. This guy can actually play. We don't have to worry about sheltering him a little bit and having him watch from the press box. He knows what he's doing. Um, and I think he's fitting very, very well with Zegris and Troy Terry on that top line. And you've got to think, you know, if he had been there for every game in those first five games, maybe they squeak out one, maybe, you know, uh, two and a half wins out of that instead of four losses. I don't know. Get a couple extra points. And now you're sitting, you know, closer to that, you know, the top of that division with Vancouver there maybe instead. And so – 
I mean, they're they could be really dangerous because now with you know Lucas or Leo Carlson there and, and Mason McTavish just you know slotted in perfectly where I think they just they fit so well. Um, I I just think they've they've got a, a really good you know well oiled top six that just they seem to all be clicking very very well and I think now you give guys like Adam Henrique and Max Jones you take the pressure off them a little bit um, let them do their thing in that that third line bottom you know bottom six there and uh, I think it's just been paying off very very well and the addition on that back end playing a guy like uh, you know Pavel you know uh, gosh I don't even know how to pronounce his last name Mint Mintikoff sure. Is that how you say? It? I mean, yeah, I've watched him a couple of games, and I have him on my fantasy squad, and he's he looks not out of place at all for a twenty-year-old kid right now. I mean, he just or a nineteen-year-old kid, he just has come in and just uh, you know has picked up the game very, very well, and just has given them a little bit more firepower defensively than I think they were expecting. Well, and you you know you bring in somebody like Radko Gudis, and you look at what he does to the teams that he plays for. He just gives guys a little more confidence to go out there and do what they do. So I, I think that's an important note that he's, I mean, he's just somebody who can, uh, you know, he changes what, what you have to do when you're out there on the ice first off. So for the other team, you know, you're suddenly looking over your shoulder, but uh, I, I think that it's, it's kind of released some of these guys to, to be who they are. Um, I will say I wouldn't have expected that the Anaheim ducks would be in the playoff chase, and Trevor Zegers having two points in ten games, <laughs> he right. has he's been quite bad, and he's like been visibly frustrated uh, in some of these games. It is you know twenty eight shots through ten games uh, for a guy like Zegers that uh, it seems low to me. You know, like he just doesn't seem like he's shooting the puck enough. So I think that there's there's maybe some some issues going on there, but. Uh, I, I think, you know, sometimes these things just have to work themselves out, but other, other, like, I just wonder what's going on. You know, there was this, the, the contract stuff that was happening with him. Did that affect him? Uh, was it missing camp? Uh, like a little bit of camp that he missed. I mean, any, anything's possible for these younger kids, but I mean, he's been very consistent, been a very consistent 60 plus point guy. And you come out here and you you've got one goal through ten games, uh, that is not good. Uh, so I mean, you can look at it two ways. You know, hey, this is not good that he's struggling, but also the rest of the team's going. So if he could just get going, imagine what we've got too. So you tack on a, a fully engaged Trevor Zegers and Leo Carlson coming in every night uh, or playing more often at least. Uh, I think that you know Anaheim has a has a real shot. They they are at least loaded up with enough veterans to where you could go. I mean, this team could make a little bit of a push, but I think ultimately, you know, you look at their defense. I, I, I still don't think that this is a, a defense core that can make the playoffs, <laughs> but Hey, they're, they're playing well so far. And I just think once Edmonton gets going and I, I mean, I guess I say that with relative confidence that they will get going at some point, uh, I think those are games that it'll be tough for Anaheim to win. I think Calgary will get going. Like, not necessarily that they're going to be world beaters, but Calgary, Edmonton, Seattle, you got to think they're going to be a little bit better than what they've been so far. And I think that Anaheim would be the team that would get chased down pretty quickly out of uh, out of all four of those teams. So I don't expect Anaheim to sit here, but it is 
it is uh, fun. I hope I hope that they kind of keep pushing this and that they can stay in the race because I do want to see four teams make the playoffs from both conferences. And I think that when you have a lot of good teams in a division, I think that that's usually what happens. Is you, you know, if you've got one division that has a bunch of bad teams, that's where you only get three from that division. So I would like to see it. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, if if Anaheim can stay relatively close to the playoff pitcher, you know, four months from now, they're probably going to get, uh, you know, Jamie Drysdale back, and that would be a nice little, little yes. trade deadline boost for them. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, because you know they're not going out and get, they're not dealing anything. So uh, right. I think as far as Pat Verbeek is concerned, their general manager, I think he might be looking at this like, guys, we don't. We were hoping to hoping to have another first overall pick here, like <laughs> another another lottery pick here. You guys are uh, so you know maybe this is where you see uh, Dostal will just get dealt. <laughs> no, twenty three years old, he's not getting dealt. But no, and I, I mean, I even think you know, even if they are in the bubble uh, or pretty close to it, you know, the playoff pitcher, I still think you you have to deal Adam Henrique or maybe Jacob Silverberg. Get what you can. Um, you know, because again, I, I don't think these guys are part of the long term plan in Anaheim. So, Although Adam um, Henrique has been there for quite some time, I wonder if he's just he's willing to you know just re up and he is. But I, I think you do him. You know, I, I mean, I think he's he's going to want to go after uh, because I, I do think it's a, a couple years before they're a legit Stanley Cup contender. Um, you know, assuming that you know everybody develops as is, and so um, you know he might want to chase a Stanley Cup sooner rather than later. Yeah, uh, and let's not forget Alex Kalorn has been hurt as well so he's on the the ir for a, what a, a month he should be coming back in like two weeks or so so yeah and get... he, he's one of those guys too that i think you know he he helps guys like i think trevor zegris you know when they are having these slumps True. where they aren't figuring out he's one of those guys that'll come in and help you kind of figure out how to deal with that absolutely so yeah i mean Anaheim's in an interesting position. You know, when when you're a team like Montreal too, when you're a team with no expectations, it's a lot easier to to just kind of hum along early on. And I think these things usually figure themselves out. Uh, they're you know their PDO is a little higher. Their save percentage is almost a percentage higher than the rest of the league. Their shooting percentage is two percent higher. So usually those things will bounce them their way out, and uh, they will. Man, seventy six percent on the PK too. That's no good. <laughs> right. Uh, they are not a good special teams team, and generally over time that is going to come back to bite you. But uh, tell that to the St. Louis Blues a few years ago. But oh, jeez. Um, yeah. yeah speaking of St. Louis, uh, I don't know if you've seen their power play, but it's four percent. So. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> that's really terrible. Um, yeah, I. Well, let, let's let's allow that to take us into a new conversation of uh, a few guys that we think are on the hot seat because that's probably a good place to start with Craig Berube, uh, who has once again having another poor start, and maybe other surprisingly enough, maybe other than Jordan Binnington, uh, no one is playing all that well. Yeah, no one I has mean, more than two goals. That's Brendan Saad and Robert Thomas have two goals through the first oh. eight games. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you mentioned one name in there, Robert Thomas, right? I think if St. Louis could, um, you know, take back that contract, they they might do that, him and Jordan Cairo, but they're stuck with it. So, you know, head coaches, right, they're easier to fire than it is to try to figure out, you know, to trade a guy with a contract like that. So um, He's got to go. It's not happening. I mean, yeah, I know he coached him to a Stanley Cup, but uh, since they won that Stanley Cup, really like the last – 
three, two years, it's been pretty apparent that things aren't going super well. Uh, they just can't score. They All they can do is five on five. They're terrible special teams. Uh, and this year their penalty kills bad. So it's to me, it, this is just, it's time to see if you can figure this out with someone else because you look at this team and it's not a team that's ready to rebuild the way that they've they've brought guys in and signed signed guys long term. So I, I think you gotta try and fire your coach and see if they can switch things around. I mean Tory Krug, zero points through eight games. Justin Falk, one assist. Colton Pareko, a goal. Like no one is scoring. <laughs> and I I you know if you showed me, don't even show me how many how many points, how many goals anybody scored. You just show me the order at which uh, these players are on the scoring list for the Blues. You go Robert Thomas and Kasperi Kapanen's number two. If I looked at that, I'd probably say, well, St. Louis is probably having a brutal start then, aren't they? If Kasperi <laughs> Kapanen, a guy who, who nobody even wanted to pick up on waivers, uh, is, is your second highest scoring, you're probably having trouble. So... I, I think the Blues, Brew Bay's got to go. I, I would be surprised if he lasts till Thanksgiving, to be honest. Wow. Okay. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, he's, you know, if I had to list the top three coaches on the hot seat, he would probably be right up there in that top three somewhere. So, I mean, are we looking, uh, you know, obviously with Pierre Dorian being fired, that's a pretty obvious one. In, yes. Uh, but... I wonder if they just wait. You know, DJ Smith's been there a while, but he's kind of always had this uh, an iffy team. Uh, do you wait and see if he can turn it around, or are you going to go fire the GM and fire the coach and then just let uh, Steve Steos, who took over as interim GM, hire a coach? Well, I, you know what? I, I think it's, you know, for, for a GM, if you want to bring in your guy, right, um, which a lot of GMs tend to do, um, you know, at some point, right during their tenure. Um, most of them don't do it right away though. So it's, it's easier to find a guy that you want during the off season than it is mid season. So, um, you know, again, it, it depends how much you really believe in what you have, you know? So a lot of teams, um, you know, if they're firing a GM, they're firing a head coach, it's usually because they're at the bottom of the league. They're probably, you know, looking at a possible rebuild or, you know, they're, they're, I mean, they, they have way too many issues to just overcome, right? Where just a simple fix of, you know, switching out a head coach, right, might do it. So, um, you know, for a team like Ottawa, I think, you know, they've got enough good personnel on ice that maybe a head coaching change might be enough to really catapult this team into something really, really good. Now, I know... Well, I don't you know, disagree. Again, I just, I'm just wondering if, like, do you want to let your new GM hire a coach? Like, do you want to hire a coach now and then have to go and say, hey, GM, we just hired a new coach, so this is the guy you're stuck with. Or well, here's you... the other... Yeah. Well, so for me, anyways, you have a, a GM who's on an interim you know, tag right now, right? So, right. you Because know, he's president owner, of hockey ops or something. Or yeah, something. so you know, how much leeway are you going to give him to, to make a you know, call like that with bringing in a new coach, right, as an owner? Um, so I don't know what kind of you know power he's given him to say, you know what, if you want to make a head coaching change, go for it. But no, maybe he wants, maybe you know, uh, you know, ownership in Ottawa says, oh no, we want to, we want you to bring in a GM first and let him exactly decide yeah. if they want to bring in a new head coach. Or well, not. and I think that as some, if you're somebody who is thinking, oh, I could go and be a GM there, you're like, well, I hope they don't hire somebody because I want to hire my guy. 
that would sure. be my that would be my uh, my leaning. But uh, it, it also all depends because if Steve Steos is the president of Hockey Ops, and he also is like the GM's going to work for him, so is he just going to bring in his own guy who already is a part of the crew? You know, like maybe he brings in somebody that. Uh, that he wants to be in there who would already approve of the head coach anyways. So there, there's also that since, and, and this is all new because, you know, Ottawa just new ownership. They've Steve Steos just started there too. So uh, it'll be, I, I, I think that that move is probably enough. Like if you fire the GM, that probably means that everybody's safe for a minute. And because otherwise you would just fire the coach. Like it, it makes a lot more sense if you're going to, fire the coach, just fire the coach first and then see how this plays out. And then you fire the GM, I guess, but um, yeah, but this is a little different situation though. I think yeah. they're, they fired that, you know, the GM because they lost that first round yep. pick They're The handling of Shane Pinto. So it just, it's a little bit different than just a team playing bad or, you know, poorly in the state. I mean, they right? made the so. playoffs one time. It was his first year in the, as the GM and they haven't made the playoffs since. So, one could argue that they made the one year they made the playoffs. He had very little to do with it, and then they missed the playoffs every other year he was there. And they yeah. were freaking terrible. And they dealt for Matt Duchesne. They still missed the playoffs. And uh, oh, no, was he there the year that they went to the final? Well, no, I mean, he I'll, wasn't. I'll they missed the what, playoffs. Though. I'll tell you what, though, these offseason moves he's made have, have have looked really, really good. I mean, Jacob Chikrin looks phenomenal. Tarasenko looks incredible. Um, so right now I'm not hating the moves that he yeah, actually did. Ones, I think he's put this team decent. in a good position. Yeah. 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 But I mean over the course of eight years. Sure. Um and everybody's gonna have their stinkers. Don't don't get me wrong, I know that. <laughs> um okay, yeah, I, I'd say that DJ Smith is on the hot seat, but it's a little different because we're kinda like, Well, is there gonna be a GM hired soon? Or like uh, so I'd say that that one is like maybe less imminent whereas you look at st louis and you're like st louis is trying to make the playoffs they can't they're bad again and craig berube kind of is this old school guy maybe it's time to bring in some new school so get him out of there bring in somebody even if it's on an interim basis bring in somebody who can just kind of maybe flush this thing around a little bit and see what happens uh the one other team i wonder about i don't think that they'll fire their coach but man pittsburgh is not looking good and everybody freaking loves Mike Sullivan, but do they need a new voice? Like it has nothing to do with him being a ba- a good or a bad coach, but do they just need a new voice in there to shake things up? And Kyle Dubas is a new GM. Does he, you know, put his stamp on this team by firing the coach and bringing in his own guy to see if they can salvage the season? Ooh, I mean, I will say he is on the last. I mean, he just got a contract extension, so I. I don't know if you fire a guy mid-season having just given him a three-year extension that hasn't even started yet. Yeah, it'd be tough. But but you weren't yeah. expecting the season to start like this. No, no. And I, I think for maybe this team, um, man, maybe you give it – gosh, I don't know. I almost would probably give it the year and just see how it plays yeah. out. Now, um, I guess it really all depends, right? So if um, Well, it depends you know, on what Jake, Sydney says. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> That's a big thing, right? I mean, you, you've got Latang and Carlson. You've got Malkin. You've got Brian Rust for Cal signed up. So if you can get Jake Gensel re-signed, right, you get that piece locked up, and you've got Crosby and Malkin locked up for, you know, another year, and Crosby will probably re-up next year again. Um, 
you know, then you can make a decision in the offseason like, hey, is, we just want to cut bait now and bring in another voice, sure. Um, but, you know, midseason, I don't know, having just given him an extension. Now, yeah, there tough. is another coach that I look at that just got an extension too, but I think um, there might be a little bit more pressure on him to, to produce than there would be maybe on Sullivan, and that's Jay Woodcroft at Edmonton. Okay, um, yep. Boy, you want to talk about a, a team that is just kind of stunk it to start the year, and that's that's Edmonton. And oh, man, they like just you, fired their coach, what, two years ago? <laughs> I know, but, it, you know, it's like... They fire their coach getting, every two years. <laughs> maybe they do, and I mean, maybe this is, you know, Kenny Holland's last hurrah, so, um, you know, who knows if he's going to retire after this season, but... You know, Connor McDavid is is due for an extension in you know two off seasons from now. So, um, you know, and Leon Drysaddle next, you know, this off season. So, if things really aren't going well and just look, I mean, I I don't think Edmonton's going to be at the bottom of this division or anywhere near it at the end of the year. But boy, if it's if it doesn't look like it's getting better, you know, if you're Leon Drysaddle, do you maybe say, do I really want to be here? You know, do I do I want to go? you know, play behind Connor McDavid's shadow the whole time for another, you know, seven, eight oh, years. I think he loves playing with him. I, I do too. I, I, I mean, be. why wouldn't you want to play with this guy? But, you know, maybe, I'm, but again, I don't know the guy. So maybe he's, maybe he's thinking, you know what, I want to go and be the number one guy on my team, my own team, um, or be on a team that, you know, like I'm that missing piece that's going to put them over the top and make them the next, you know, like Jack Eichel was to Vegas, right? I'm going to be that piece mm -hmm. to them. All right, Justin, are you ready to talk about uh, the, uh, the history of the Edmonton Oilers coaches. Let's let's go, baby. So Craig McTavish is the, aside from Glenn Sather, is the longest tenured head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, 656 games from 2000 to 2009. Um, after that, 2009-10, uh, Pat Quinn was the head coach, and, uh, and then he was no longer. He was only there one year. Uh, the next, next guy, Tom Rennie, he was their head coach for two seasons. Then you had Ralph Kruger, who was their head coach for the lockout year, 48 games. The next one and a half seasons, Dallas Aikens, 13 to 15, but he only coached 113 games. Todd Nelson, 14-15, he took over. He coached for 51 games. And then Todd McClellan came in. He lasted a good amount of time, 266 games. So he was there for, uh, what, four seasons. And then... In 1819, oh, sorry, three and a half seasons because 1819, Ken Hitchcock came in, was their head coach for 62 games. And then Dave Tippett from 19 to 22, 171 games. So he lasted two and a half years. And uh, then Jay Woodcroft, currently their head coach for the last season and a half. So <laughs> this team does not sit on head coaches for very long. No. Not at They're, all. Yeah. And previous to Jay Woodcroft, I mean, since Pat Quinn and 0910, they've only had two coaches with over a 500 win percentage. So, um, yeah. that, that might be part of the problem, right? I mean, Dave Tippett and McQuellen were there for, for very long tenures. And so they were able to put together the wins. So maybe that's, maybe that's part of the problem, right? Maybe I'm jumping the gun here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that Jay Woodcroft though, I mean, he's been so far has been good. I think we're willing to all willing to say well, this is just a bad stretch. They've been historically bad to start start seasons. I mean, hence look at all these coaches fired at the beginning of the season <laughs> over the last five six years. Uh, that's uh, one, two, three coaches over the last ten years have been fired in the first like twenty games of the year, which is that's a lot. And you 
you might do it again here, which would you know be surprising, I think. But uh, I think there's one more team that I would say is uh, maybe slightly in danger of you know, hey, should we fire our coach? And that'd be the Buffalo Sabers. A lot of expectation on the Sabers. They're starting five and five. Lots of time to turn this around. I don't know that he gets fired today or even in two months from now. But um, if Don Granado can't get this team to sniff the playoffs this year, I think that he might be gone. Other than uh, he's that, he's got I mean, a two-year contract extension too. Yeah, but everybody gets two-year <laughs> contract extensions. I know, man. Um, and of course, we could always talk Sheldon Keefe. You know. This this is as I know he got an extension, but if they don't do something pretty significant in the playoffs, uh, I would imagine he's a Nazi. But that's no one's getting fired imminently, other than in my opinion, like Craig Berube in St. Louis, and maybe uh, in in Ottawa DJ Smith. So those would be the only two that I think that are could be relatively soon. I think the rest of them, it's like, well, we'll wait and see. I don't disagree with you. All right. Well, that is our show. You can find us on Twitter at OT Hockey Talk. Oh, sorry. You can find us on X. What am I saying? It's X. You can <laughs> find it? us on X. Um, and uh, yeah, that's not our porn site. It's just the site we type things into and tell you about what's going on in hockey. That's what I always thought was weird about X. Why? Anyways. Um, yeah. Justin, I hope you have a, a great night. And to our listeners... Enjoy the hockey, and uh, we'll talk to you guys real soon.